Welcome to the 2018 Prima Podcast Series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima Podcast, Randy Anderson will discuss creating an atmosphere of accountability. Randy is the co-founder of E3 Professional Trainers, a training firm providing workplace and life training for individuals, teams, and companies. Before starting E3 in 2005, Randy spent 20 years in sales and management. From that experience, he developed strategies that help people become more engaged in their job, better equipped to do it, and feel empowered to have greater influence at work while enjoying more fulfillment in life. Randy specializes in personal productivity, communication, conflict resolution, employee engagement, and life balance. From reducing employee turnover to increasing customer retention, Randy offers practical, applicable ideas that are easy to implement and reteach. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Randy, thank you for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me so much. I appreciate the invitation. I think we would all agree that accountability is important, but it also seems like we don't do a great job of holding people accountable. Why do you think we don't do a better job of making accountability a priority? Well, I agree with that. I go all over, talk to all kinds of industries, all different sides of the business and, and everywhere you can think of. And you can't ever find somebody who would say accountability is not important, but at the same time, I don't see it being as prevalent in most places as we would think it should be. I think most of us would say it's a priority, but if I actually watch people, what they do, I don't think they're really making that one of the highest items on the to-do list. And I think there's several reasons for that. If there was, you know, if there was just one reason, I think it would be fairly easy to attack that and fix that. But because there's several reasons, it's not quite as easy to, to, you know, just check that one off the list and go forward. I think the first one is we're just, we're also busy. You know, managers are busy, supervisors are busy. I've got my own tasks to do, so it's hard for me to find the time, so to speak, to hold others to do what they're supposed to do. And as long as they're performing at a high enough level that nobody's jumping on me, I'm not going to jump on them. I think the second thing, you know, and and that kind of leads out from the first one of nobody's jumping on me, I think that good enough, so to speak, that good enough mentality, we're doing good enough that nobody is really shouting at us Nobody's scrutinizing us outside of our department, and we're kind of off the radar. And so because I'm not being pushed from behind, I don't feel like I need to really be so hard on people around me. I think there's times when managers kind of adopt the idea, well, it wouldn't do any good anyway. You know, I've already talked to them about it three times, or I've already had this conversation with them in the past, and they just keep going back to what they're doing. And in that in that particular scenario, I don't think it's so much – the results that they're producing. I think a lot of times it's the way they go about it. It's the, they don't play well in the sandbox. You know, they're, they're not a good teammate. They're somewhat edgy when they talk to customers, um, clients, things like that. Uh, and, and they just feel like, what you know, it doesn't matter what I say to them, they, they always go back to what they were already doing. And so if we get it in our mind that it won't do any good anyway, and we feel like we're banging our head against the wall, so to speak, it's easy to give up on it. I think the next one is, quite honestly, fear of confrontation. Some people are afraid to confront someone else. They're afraid it's going to turn into a conflict. They're afraid it's going to turn into a fight. They're afraid it's going to become political. They're afraid that, you know, the person that they're trying to hold accountable is going to go and talk to all of their friends 
and all of a sudden it's going to be us against them or me against everyone. And so they're a little bit fearful of what that confrontation may look like or feel like. And and that's uncomfortable for people, depending on their personality especially. You you have a a, a natural peacemaker, somebody who, who really is bothered by or stressed by confrontation, it's hard for them to want to go and initiate that that initial conversation about accountability. And then the last thing I think is, uh, and I've I've heard a lot of managers, a lot of supervisors say this to me, and and even if it's peer pressure, you know, if Taekwon, if you and I are on an equal level in a great team, you would hold me accountable and I would hold you accountable. It wouldn't just be our manager, but whether it's a peer or whether it's a superior, there's this idea of, well, what if they turn it around on me? You know, what if I tell them, I've noticed you're not doing this well, or I've noticed you're doing this and you need to quit, and they say, well, what about you? What about what you do? What about I heard you say that? What about, and instead of it being a constructive conversation, it becomes a tug of war and who yells loudest and who gets the last word in. And so, you know, there's five just right there that I think can lead to us not making it a priority and we excuse it away or we avoid it or we convince ourselves that we're going to do it at the first of the month or at the next performance appraisal, and then it just continues to be put off further into the future. When is the best time to talk with someone if you believe they have missed the mark on something? I think to some degree that's situational. I think we've got to look at that as each individual occurrence is going to require a little bit of a different approach. Now, I would say, first off, consistency is important. The people who you work with most closely and most often should really kind of know what to expect, that they shouldn't have to wonder which of you, which of your personalities showed up that day. So, so let me just start with consistency is important. And I, I think, you know, we want to make this a common conversation, not an event conversation, not wait until the pile has gotten so high we have to have this big formal meeting with HR or we have to have this big formal write-up. I mean, I think if we talk about it consistently, we can avoid that big event that causes everyone stress, the manager and the person who's receiving that. That being said, I think there's kind of three things you can think about on this. One is the obvious which is, you know, do we talk to them about it immediately after something happens? You know, we hear someone talk harshly on the phone to a customer or client, or we hear somebody, we observe someone talking to a teammate in a non-professional way, or somebody turns something in past deadline, or somebody turns something in that is not thorough, is not complete, is not accurate. The easy answer is to say, well, address it immediately after. The problem with that is at times emotions may be running high and they may not be as receptive to it in that immediacy as they might be a little bit later on. So if I, let me go back to the example I used a minute ago. If I hear a team member really talking harshly on the phone and and whether it's to a vendor or whether it's to, uh, you know, a client or whether it's to another team member, If I hear that and I know emotions are high, I may want to give that person 10 minutes or time to go to lunch or something like that to let the emotion kind of settle a little bit before I confront them with what I saw as the behavior that was not acceptable. 
and and I'm you know I'm a big believer in in you know looking at here's what I observed, not just your attitude, not just your effort, but here was your actions. You know, here here's what made me think your attitude wasn't what it should have been there, or here's what you did or did not do that made me realize you didn't give that your full effort. Not just I don't think you're working hard because I don't think that goes over very well. I don't think that lands so to speak, with very many people. The second thing you could think about there is you want to look for a teachable moment. And uh, uh, to me, what defines a teachable moment is when the person who is being taught, the person who is being corrected, is open to the lesson that's being taught, you know, that they're open to the feedback that they're getting. And the example I almost always use on this is my family and I had gone on vacation a few years ago, and we were in a hotel I had uh, was kind of mixing business with pleasure and it was at a convention and then vacation was going to be tied to the end of that. And I came upstairs after a meeting, walked into the hotel room. As soon as I opened the door, I look across the room and my daughter, who was about 12 at the time, was kind of in a half squat, coiled up on the bed. And I could tell she was fixing to jump from the bed over onto an ottoman that was sitting a few feet away. And as soon as I opened the door and I see this, I start into the sentence, Carly, that looks like a bad idea. About the time I got to the word bad, she took flight, hit the ottoman, the ottoman flipped over, and the metal frame on the ottoman scraped all the skin off of her shin from her ankle almost up to her knee. Um, and, And she still has a scar from it today. Well, my kids know that I was born with zero mercy. I mean, I can they can fall out of a tree, have a bone sticking out of the side of their leg, and I'll you know my response is well, we'll go to the hospital in a few minutes, but right now we're going to talk about why you shouldn't have been up in that tree playing around. And it's just, you know it's a typical character trait, but it's just that I just skipped that station on the assembly line for the mercy you know wiring. Well, as every hotel room is, she's on the other side of the room. She's got to walk over toward me to get to the bathroom, and by this time. Her leg, it's not bleeding, but it's kind of beginning to ooze some nasty-looking stuff. And in one of my more proud parenting moments, she walked over there. I did not say a word to her if I told you so. And I put my arm around her. We walked into the bathroom, got a washcloth, and began to clean it up. And 10 or 15 minutes later, we're sitting on the bed. We'd given her Motrin, and she was sitting in my lap. And she said, now I can see why you said that was a bad idea. Well, see, when she first landed, and she was in that severe pain, and and it was just starting to ooze and, and all she wasn't open to what I had to say at that time. She, all she knew was she hurt. But a few minutes later, when she's thinking back through it, she realized, okay, maybe dad wasn't just being the boring dad. And I said, you know, hey, if you're in a hotel room, make a trampoline park out of the beds for all I care. Don't jump on the beds at home, but in a hotel, I don't care. It was the fact that I could see that that ottoman was going to flip over. So the teachable moment had come a little bit further along. And then the last thing I would suggest, so if you, if you don't do it immediately after, If you're looking for a teachable moment, there are times when I've concluded in my career the best time is, and this is a funny way to say this, but you'll understand what I mean, at the beginning of next time. So if this is something we only do once a month or once a quarter or once a year and somebody messed something up, me talking to them about it now might not be as effective as if I wait and talk to them about it at the start of second quarter. You know, and, and, and three months from now, when we're going into our new cycle of doing this, we kind of reestablish what's expected or what we think is best or best practices or whatever the case may be, instead of hoping that I told them that three months ago, and hopefully they still remember. So sometimes at the beginning of next time may be better than right now. So for me, you know, with the, with the understanding consistency is really important, those are the three things that I would take into consideration for when the best time to talk to someone is. 
So what would you suggest when considering where to have corrective conversations? Well, I think that's really important because you can cause ineffectiveness in this by, by not thinking through that ahead of time. I mean, certainly not in the hallway, not in the break room, not in the lobby, not in the conference room when the rest of the team is already in there. I mean, pretty much everyone has heard the example uh, or has heard the old adage, praise in public and discipline in private. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. I think that's probably an easy thing to keep in the back of your mind and just know, okay, even if I'm about to explode because I'm so frustrated with what I just saw them do, if there's a lot of people around, now is not the place to do that. The only time I would take exception to that is if you're in a team meeting and someone on the team had committed to the entire team that they were going to have something done by a certain date, and whatever it was they were going to have done affects everyone in the room, then it may be appropriate to kind of hold their feet to the fire in front of everyone. Well, Taekwon, you know, you told us you would have this done by today, or you told us you would have the numbers pulled, or you told us you would have the report ready. Did something happen that kept you from doing it? Because we all expected you were going to have that today. What you'll find is if accountability really permeates through your entire organization, the manager may not be the one who has to do that. It may be one of the team members that holds them accountable. And if the promise was made to everyone, then sometimes I will let that go in front of everyone. Most of the time, though, I'm going to suggest something different. So if you're going to have to correct someone, I think item number one when you're thinking about where is just try to not embarrass them. You know, try to not embarrass that person in front of a lot of people in a public place where there's other people overhearing or, or watching, even if they can't hear, if they see the the body language, the interaction that way, and they can tell that one person is mad or one person is being corrected or whatever, try to not let them become embarrassed. So then we have to think about, okay, well, then where do I go? Well, is is and I'm speaking to managers and leaders here, is your office intimidating to them? You know, I would encourage you to talk to people in your office regularly so that when you do have to have a corrective conversation and you call that person and ask them to come back to your office, it's not, I have to go to the principal's office. Uh, You know, at this point, my wife and I are the only two employees we have in our company, but I used to manage 57 people. I would call people to my office constantly for stupid little things that I could have done over the phone because I wanted to cultivate that atmosphere that coming to my office was not always a negative. And that if somebody got called to my office, it wasn't such an unusual event that everyone was looking at it thinking, oh, they got in trouble. They have to go to the principal's office. So I would encourage you to utilize your office in a good way. Maybe go to a neutral place. You know, Could you go to the conference room when no one else is using it? Is there an empty office somewhere? You know, oftentimes there's an empty office somewhere that you can just pull up two chairs and talk about in there, and that way nobody's ducking their head into the manager's office asking for help and kind of overhearing the conversation as they walk up and as they leave. Try to find that place. You can consider if the individual that you're talking to has their own office, you could consider going there because that's going to let them feel more comfortable. You know, I'm just not big on anybody having home field advantage, so to speak. You know, and then a lot of people joke about it. A lot of people laugh about it. But uh, some people will remember the movie Jerry Maguire and when, uh, you know, Tom Cruise's uh, boss took him to the restaurant to fire him and the idea that nobody's going to yell in public. And so that's – I don't necessarily subscribe to that being the best way to do that, but that is a consideration. I mean, you can think about doing it that way and 
you know, I could argue both sides of the professionalism or the lack of there or, or the copping out or the it, it makes it calmer. I, I don't necessarily have a strong stance on that, but I, also, I definitely don't think it's the absolute very best. You know, when I talk about this particular question or this particular point in my accountability presentation that I do, the slide that I put up is the mom who went out and found her son in the demonstrations in Baltimore when you know everybody everybody sees the picture remembers exactly what it was and she went up and was kind of for lack of a better way to say it slapping the kid upside the head you know you're not going to do this if you're my son and you know it made the national news well I don't think anybody really wants being corrected I don't think they want that publicized and so uh, with the understanding that people need to know that you're addressing bad behavior or underperformance I don't know that they have to see and hear all the specifics of that and and I don't know that embarrassing them I have a hard time seeing positives that could come out of embarrassing that person we hope you're enjoying the podcast here are some words from Prima's member services manager Danica Williams regarding Prima membership benefits Prima is a membership organization dedicated to advancing the knowledge and practice of risk management in the public sector. Prima members come from a diverse range of disciplines, entity types, sizes, and share a variety of titles including risk manager, human resources professional, workers' compensation coordinator, employee benefits coordinator, claims administrator, safety personnel, risk pool administrator, just to name a few. Despite their titles, there is one resounding theme among these individuals, and that is that they manage risks within their entity and importantly, risks affecting the public interest. Prima members enjoy a robust array of educational programming, risk management resources, and networking opportunities. Some of Prima's member benefits include access to blogs, podcasts, webinars, Prima's job bank, Prima's online community where members have the ability to connect, share, and solicit information directly from their colleagues, Prima's library of risk management documents, Prima's flagship publication, The Public Risk Magazine, and member discounts to all Prima events and training. Becoming a Prima member is one of the most worthwhile career investments a risk management practitioner can make, not just for themselves, but for their entire entity. To learn more about Prima member resources, visit primacentral.org. Do you have any suggestions regarding how someone can be more effective if they feel they aren't good at initiating conversations like this? Yeah, I've actually created, I hate to call it an acronym, but it's, it, for lack of a better way to say it, it's an acronym. It's an easy thing to remember. There's a mnemonic device here, and it's the vowels. So A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y is what my sixth grade grammar teacher always said. And so if you write down those vowels, and, and, and you can have this on a post-it note, you know, where the person you're talking to can't necessarily see it, but it can prod your thinking. So here's the way I would go about this, and I've taught this in many, many, many places, and I've had people call me back and say, hey, when you first said that, I didn't realize how helpful it was going to be, but it's so easy, it works well. Here's the way I think you can walk through that. The A, I want to talk first about actual behavior. Here's what I saw. Here's what I observed. Here's what you did. Here's what you did not do. Here's what the report looked like, the actual behavior or performance or results. Then I want to compare that to the expected 
behavior. Ken Blanchard, uh, one of my favorite authors and you know world famous speaker. He's in kind of that upper stratosphere of, of speakers that's been around for forever. He says the problem is the difference between actual behavior and expected behavior. That gap is the problem. So I talked first about their actual behavior, their actual performance, and then I'm going to compare that with the expected behavior. Here's what we agreed to. Here's what you told me you would do. Here's what I assigned to you and asked of you compared to what you actually did. So there's the A and the E. The I, I want to inquire about their mindset. Taekwon, can you see that there's a gap here? Did you realize that you were that much past deadline? Did you realize that you had left out that whole thing? I want to find out how they perceive that gap. Some are going to gripe about, well, it was unfair. The expectation that you set was unfair. Well, you should have said that when we agreed to it, not when you didn't meet that expectation. But I need to inquire about their mindset. So we do facts followed by questions. Because a lot of times, managers will try to do questions and then state facts. Well, uh, Taekwon, uh, you know, I wanted to check in with you and see how you're coming on the, on the project that we assigned. Well, if, he's all, if you're already past deadline, I know how you're coming. You're coming late. So I want to start off by saying, here is what you've done. Here is what we agreed to. Can you see that we've got a problem because those two things don't match? Now, if their actual behavior is beyond, is better than expected behavior, you don't have a problem. You've got a good thing. But most of the time, we're not having that conversation if they've met all the expectations, okay? So actual behavior, expected behavior, inquire about their mindset. The O is two things. Number one, outcomes, and second is overstated outcomes. So here's what I mean by that. Your outcome is, let's say we have somebody coming in five, ten minutes late, two or three days a week. Well, five or ten minutes doesn't seem like a big deal, but what I want to talk to him about is, you know, I've noticed that you've been coming in late, you know, the last two to three weeks, you've come in two or three times a week, it seems like five to 10 minutes. And I know that doesn't necessarily seem like a lot. But if we all did that, I want you to think about what it would add up to. Because did you realize if you came in five, 10 minutes late, three days a week for the year, that would be 10 hours of lost productivity? And can you imagine if everyone here had 10 hours of lost productivity a year, how much it would hurt us in our overall performance? You know, so I overstate, you know, because their response is going to be, well, it's just five minutes. And my response is, right, but if it's just five minutes, 10 minutes, three days a week, four days a week, two days a week, over the course of a year, that adds up a lot. I had a, an instance, this has been about two years ago, and one of my clients, I, I walked in and I was talking to the business manager, and she had, had kind of had a run-in with one of the people in her business office over an expense report that the person in the business office had signed off on, but the expense report was one penny off. Well, the natural response, the, the, the human nature response from the frontline person was, it's just a penny. And it's easy to look at it that way and go, right, I understand. I mean, it's just a penny. But can you imagine if every single, if every single expense report that came in during the course of a year was one penny off, we would be tens of thousands of dollars off by the end of the year. And this happened to be a government entity. It was, it was a county entity. And I said, you know, you would have voters outraged. You would have news channels out here. Somebody would want somebody to get fired, or next time they came up for election, they wouldn't get reelected. The outcome is a penny. But the overstated outcome is tens of thousands of dollars to let them see this is what that's going to add up to. Okay? 
So then we get to the U, and this is where a lot of managers struggle a little bit, is uncover new information and reach a new understanding. And so when I say, you know, you've been coming in five minutes, ten minutes late, it seems like two or three days a week for the last few weeks, is there something going on that I need to be aware of? And take one, you tell me, yeah, you know, we actually had to change where I'm dropping my kids off for daycare. We went to a new daycare center, and I can't drop them off till 7.30. Used to at the old one, I could drop them off at 7.15. And by the time I drop them off at 7.30 and traffic's heavy, I, I just can't get here by 8 o'clock. And, and I've been taking turns with my wife, and, and she's been taking him some, every other day, and I've been taking him every other day. Well, that explains why it's been two to three days a week, and that explains why you're five minutes late. I didn't know that. Maybe... I can accommodate a different schedule. Hey, listen, let me ask you this. What if we made your start time 8.15 and you only took 45 minutes for lunch? Would that work for you and your family? Oh, that'd be great because then I could drop him off every morning. My wife gets off early enough to pick him up in the afternoon and I'd never be late again. Now, I will also say we all know there are some people, it does not matter if you make their start time noon, they're still going to be 15 minutes late because they hit the snooze button three years ago and they've never been caught up since. But we might be able to reach a new understanding, which creates a new expected behavior, right? And then the very last thing is the why. You are, I want to end it by saying you are important. Your actions are important. Your effort is important. The results you produce are important to our team because we have to all be in this together. So I want to finish it by letting them know you're not just in trouble. It's that I need your best effort. I need your best performance. I need you to, to meet those expectations day in, day out, week in, week out for our team to perform at the level that is optimal for us. So actual behavior, expected behavior, inquire about their mindset, outcomes and overstated outcomes, uncover new information and reach a new understanding is the use. And then the why is you are important. I will say, if somebody wants to email me, I have that on a PowerPoint slide. I can just send it to them, and that way they'll have it on a one sheet. It won't be scribbled in handwriting if your handwriting is as bad as mine or whatever. So if they'll email me at randy at the letter E and then the number three, and then two long words, but it's easy, professionaltrainers.com, randy at e 3 professionaltrainers.com. And just ask me for the accountability vowels or the accountability slide, I'll know exactly what you're talking about, and I'll be glad to email that to anybody who sends that to me. Got it. What do you do if you have a team member or even a manager that doesn't seem to get it when it comes to accountability? Well, and I think we've all seen this, you know, and it's frustrating that you have somebody who's given 1,000% all the time, and they see a team member who's given 50%, and the manager won't hold them accountable. Or you have an employee who the manager or the supervisor has talked to, talked to, talked to, trained, trained, trained. Consequences have been put in place. Accountability is, you know, we're trying to do it. And they just don't seem to respond. Or that manager just doesn't seem to be willing to hold that underperformer to the same level as what they had originally agreed that they would perform at. So, I, you know, I've got three things that I would say on that uh, that you need to do. Number one, I think you need to ask more questions to determine their mindset and find out where they are. And, you know, those questions, take one, you know, we need to talk about this because if you remember, we actually talked about this twice in the fall. And now here we are again, and I just need to understand what it is that, that is not connecting here. Or I, I need you to tell me what I'm not conveying adequately because I, I felt like when we had our conversation last time, you understood completely. You told me you understood completely. When you left, 
you assured me that we were on the same page, and now here we are again, you know, six weeks later in the same situation we were. And I need you to kind of help me understand that better. So I'm going to ask questions to them. It may be that they don't get it. It may be that they don't care. It may be that they thought getting close to what you agreed to was good enough. It may be that they've been performing that way for three years and nobody's ever held them accountable to it until just two months ago, and now all of a sudden you've changed the way you're managing. And, again, we don't want it to turn into a, well, what about you, You know where they turn it on you. But, but I've got to figure out what their mindset is to see if it even matters to them. Because if they're just going through the motions and they don't really care, it's probably time for them to exit. You know, It's probably time for them to go, and so I don't need to give a lot of time, effort, and energy toward trying to fix something that they don't care to fix. Second thing is, I would encourage you, be very direct. You know, you can't be kind of roundabout. You can't be kind of constantly trying to be, uh, you know, walking on eggshells, phrasing things in a way that may not come across as harshly. The more they don't get it, the more direct you have to become. And, again, that's that's tough on some people, but it's a fact that you have to just swallow it and, and do it. So, I'm going to become much more direct in, I need to understand why you're doing this, why you're continuing to do this, why you haven't corrected this, because it's coming to the point where I'm going to have to make some difficult decisions. You know, I'm going to say that. I'm going to state that so that there's no ambiguity toward where I am in the deal. We are at a point where I'm fixing to have to do something different. Uh, and if you don't make a change, I'm going to have to. I mean, and, and you want to be careful with how you play that card, but I, I think at some point you've got to be very clear in that. And then the last thing I would say is be very timely. So the less they respond to accountability, the less I can afford to give them that extra 10 minutes or hour or overnight or wait till they're one-on-one or wait till the next quarterly, uh, you know, coaching meeting or evaluation or annual performance review, whatever it may be. I've got to be very, very timely. And as soon as I see them begin to step out of bounds, I've got to bump them back, in, back into play. I can't let them drift as long as I would somebody else. Because if they don't get it, I've got to find a way to help them get it. Or, or it's going to be a bad reflection on me as their, as their supervisor or boss. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Randy and Taekwon. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Enjoy the rest of your day.